Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Among the hundreds of people who were on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Courthouse on Tuesday was Jirayut Latvanskorn. People in the Bay Area call him by his nickname, New. He's a doctor at San Francisco General Hospital, and now he's challenging one of President Donald Trump's signature immigration policies in the country's highest court. We undocumented people are a mighty stream for justice that will continue flooding the streets until we win. New is among 200,000 Californians who came to the U.S. as children and have stayed in the country under the program known as DACA. Today, we'll tell you about the Bay Area resident who's now at the center of a fight to keep DACA alive. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Jirayut, who goes by New, that's his nickname that his parents gave him at birth, um, He grew up in the Bay Area in Milpitas and then in Sacramento, undocumented. Farida Jabala Romero is an immigration reporter for KQED. New is now a medical resident at uh, Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center. Working and training as a doctor, you, you truly are using everything at your disposal in order to help take care of a patient. He also became the first undocumented student to graduate from UCSF in the university's 155-year-old history. For me, I've realized that my almost lifelong history of having to be creative and problem-solve in the face of so many barriers, you know, have come in really quite handy. You know, so specifically I'm talking about growing up and living as an undocumented immigrant in America. He's definitely broken some barriers, I guess. Yeah. He's He's yeah. gone through um, a lot to open doors for other people. And he's also one of the plaintiffs uh, challenging the Trump administration's decision to end DACA. One of the main questions that the court is considering is whether the government gave enough justification for trying to end DACA in September 2017. 
or if the decision was arbitrary and capricious. It's some ways surreal to think back to another time where there was no quote-unquote guarantee of being safe from deportation, right, that we get through DACA. He came to the U.S. with his family when he was nine from Thailand. That's where he was born. The family came on a tourist visa, and then they never left. I grew up in Milpitas, then Sacramento, I don't know, Berkeley. Do you know what life was like for him and his family when they came to the U.S.? Yes, so New says it was really tough. Uh, his family was low income. Uh, his parents were for a long time also undocumented and working in the restaurant industry. Now they they have legal status, so it's it's changed for the family. You know, now we're officially in like a mixed status household. Although New is still undocumented because even though he has DACA, it's a temporary two-year you know, work authorization permit and reprieve from deportation. But it's not like a visa or a green card or citizenship where you are just safe, you know, from yeah. um, more, or more safe uh, from deportation. Um, so life was pretty tough for him, he said. He said his family was isolated, wasn't connected to any resources, and was very afraid. We were afraid of everything. Um, You know, we were afraid of going to the doctor's clinic and what that could do. We were afraid of reporting a crime um, that either happened to us um, or that we saw. We were afraid of um, even just a traffic light that, you know, we would get stopped at because any little thing in our mind, could lead to a possibility of being detained and then deported. He ended up excelling in school and just putting all of his energy into into school and academics. And so he decided he wanted to pursue his education and find a way, you know. And it's it was really difficult at the time to, for example, get uh, financial aid to pay for school and figure out all those things. So he ended up going to UC Berkeley, and he said his first scholarship was by a, an organization that's now called Immigrants Rising that um, helps uh, undocumented kids in the U.S. And uh, he said that was like his first sort of realization and connection that there were so many other people like him in this same, you know, situation where they had grown up in the States, they wanted to do things, they had dreams, but they were undocumented. He said that was like the, the first sort of time when he just changed, like really turned yeah. and became part of this movement of young people who were coming out before of TV cameras, before of, you know, other people, before government officials and saying we're undocumented and we're unafraid and we want more rights in this country. I've been living in fear 16 years and today I'm here to tell you that I'm done. I'm done of being afraid. I'm done of not knowing what's going to happen. I am done. Today I'm here to tell the world that I am undocumented, that I am here and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And then 2012 happens. What does he remember about when DACA was announced in 2012? This morning, Secretary Napolitano announced new actions my administration will take to mend our nation's immigration policy, 
to make it more fair, more efficient, and more just, specifically for certain young people, sometimes called dreamers. Now, these are young people. So he remembers that as a huge game changer. And by this point, he'd been part of those demonstrations, you know, pushing for some type of relief, not just for for them as, you know, young people, but for others who are undocumented in the country. Um, you know, DACA recipients, you know, we got to remember, they're just like a small part of this 10 to 11 million estimated people who live in the country who are undocumented. Um, and so he said for him, that was just, it just changed everything. I distinctly remember I was meeting um, one of the few known undocumented medical students at the time that same day when that morning when DACA was announced um, and after that we talked and we immediately thought about what effects um, DACA could have. And I remember at the time because I was covering I was covering this uh, with uh, Radio Bilingue it's a Spanish language network um, Latino public radio network and there was a lot of uncertainty you know because wait a second, like, this is just a temporary thing, but people were thinking, like, we're going to have to come out and give our personal information, tell the government where we live, where our families live, and yeah. many of them have, you know, relatives who are undocumented or in mixed status families. So it was a big risk on their part, you know, to, to come out of the shadows, to, to, to give all of their information to the federal government and trust that it was going to be okay. Can you remind us who DACA recipients are? So there's more than 661,000 current DACA recipients throughout the country. Nearly 200,000 of them live in California. And these are people who came to the U.S. before age 16, uh, who have to pass background checks, have graduated high school, be enrolled in school, or um, have served in the military. Uh, so these are people who, by definition, can't have serious criminal backgrounds at all. So New is one of the um, nearly 200,000 DACA recipients who live in California, who decided, you know, for him it was worth it to take the risk to come out of the shadows and give his personal information to the federal government so he could get this uh, two-year work authorization and reprieve from deportation. Then, about a year after Trump's election, many people's fears about the fate of DACA came true. On September 5th, 2017, then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that the U.S. was going to be winding down the DACA program. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. The DACA program was... How did DACA then get to the Supreme Court? Days after Attorney General Sessions announced that the administration was winding down DACA, um, there were several lawsuits that were filed, including in San Francisco. Breaking news, University of California President Janet Napolitano has just filed the lawsuit against the Trump administration. It's challenging. There were three federal judges in um, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and New York 
that uh, whose decisions ended up keeping DACA alive, but only for those who already had the the permit, so not for new applicants. And then that fight moved to uh, appeals courts, and then finally it made its way to the Supreme Court. Do you know what knew felt or was going through when he realized that this case was going to the Supreme Court? I mean, it's a mix of emotions, right? Because I, not only for new, but for many other DACA recipients, it's been a roller coaster, you know, since the Trump administration said it was ending the program. And then but then the courts kept it alive. And it's just very like tenuous on certain ground. I have to admit, I'm uh, nervous. Um, I don't think that I have, I know, I presume to know how it, though what the outcome may be at all. Um, but I do, I do remain hopeful. These are demonstrations on the steps of the Supreme Court this morning. The justices right now. So as a plaintiff, he was able to be in the same room as the nine U.S. Supreme Court justices in this very important, critical day for uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals and the hundreds of thousands of people who depend on it. So he wanted to, to be there. He took a red eye on Sunday. Uh, to Washington, D.C. He said he was working until 6 p.m. at the hospital and then ran home, got his stuff, wow. and then caught a, a, a flight at 9 p.m. To, to D.C. But he knew he wanted to be there because he wanted the justices to see him and he wanted to be present for all the other people who could not be in that courtroom but whose lives also depend on this decision. The Supreme Court isn't expected to announce its ruling until sometime in 2020. The Trump administration says DACA was illegal to begin with, that President Obama overstepped his authority by starting it in the first place. But there have been a lot of questions about whether the Trump administration did enough to understand the impacts of pulling the program on hundreds of thousands of people who rely on it. I mean, there are huge stakes. I mean, DACA is a program that has a lot of support among the American public, including among Republicans. And so news thinking is if we can't even hold on to this one program that has shown to have many benefits for taxpayers, for the ability of the young people who have DACA to earn money. You know, if the if the Supreme Court decides it's okay to end DACA and the government goes for that, then what are the prospects for everybody else who is undocumented in this country if uh, the U.S. doesn't even hold on to this one program that has so much support? Home is here! Home is here! Home is here! Home is here. Hi, Farida. Yes, I can hear you just fine. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's quite cold today in D.C. On Tuesday, New was inside of the Supreme Court of the United States. I was very, very proud um, to be a plaintiff, to have had the opportunity to be in that courtroom. There were hundreds, potentially thousands of people who had gathered to rally in support of DACA at the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court. And when the hearing was over, it lasted an hour and 20 minutes, he said that they came out of the Supreme Court holding hands. It was actually a a quite beautiful moment. So when we walked out, all the plaintiffs um, linked hands and we each walked out. Um, 
in uh, line by line down the steps of the Supreme Court. And the first thing that struck me was actually the thousands of people that were rallying. We undocumented people are a mighty stream for justice that will continue flooding the streets until we win. Because that's why we're here and we're not going anywhere. And he just said he felt this huge surge of pride and any nervousness he had and anxiety, you know, about what the judges are going to decide just melted away. Because at that point, he knew that this community was just not going to go down without a fight. And they were there together. I believe. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that we. On Tuesday, there were walkouts in high schools around the country to support DACA, including right here in the Bay Area. Frida says some of the kids who walked out are like new. They were brought to the U.S. undocumented as kids. But unlike his situation, they don't have the option to apply for DACA. So Frida says now we have another generation of kids who are graduating from high school who don't have the protection and the hope that they'll be able to work and live here. Farida Jabala Romero covers immigration for KQED News. And before I let you go, I just want to ask that if you have been listening to The Bay for a while now, thank you, first off. And secondly, if you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts yet, um, we'd love it if you could. We love hearing what you think about the show, what you like about us, um, obviously. <laughs> uh, but it also helps other people find The Bay. So thanks. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. We'll talk to you Friday. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.